for the landlords in South Africa, you know, I think at the moment there certainly is oversupply in the South African retail environment. I think it's been coming for a couple of years where, you know, we've had significant development in the space. And as a result, you know, we've, uh, we've seen um, a lot of expansion and in an environment that is contractionary, certainly from a retailer perspective, you know, I think there will be more space. Investic's intent in this series is to expose you to new ideas and perspectives, challenge your existing preconceptions and provide food for thought. Recently, the negotiations between landlords and tenants have become increasingly tense. Retailers are the number one tenant for listed property companies and leases are the second biggest expense for those retailers. When the consumer was able to spend freely and we saw significant growth on a year-on-year basis, the whole food chain did well. In more recent times, the weakness in the SA consumer has resulted in unique challenges for both landlords and tenants. I want to thank and introduce our two keynote speakers on today's webinar series, who will provide unique insights into this dynamic. I would like to thank both Estienne de Clerc, who's the CEO of GrowthPoint, and Grant Patterson, who's the CEO of Edcon and formerly MassMart. Thank you both, gentlemen, for, for giving us your time today. Estienne, maybe we should start off with you. Um, as a landlord, who provide space to many different retailers, you have insight into many different parts of the SA consumer landscape. It would be good to get a sense of what you've seen and what has been the most difficult aspect of the recent shutdown to implement and manage for both yourself and for your clients. And maybe as a follow-on, what parts of the retail chain are you seeing as being under the most strain at the moment? Yes, so I mean, clearly our initial effort was very, very operational, ensuring that our shopping centers had all be closed down, certain components needed to be kept open, we had to ensure that shoppers were safe, our staff were safe, and the tenants, uh, the retailer staff, you know, could also safely access the retail environment. And no business is really designed to do these things, so it, it was sort of spur of the moment stuff. I think uh, shortly after that, the impact of uh, these stores being closed and many of the retailers at that point indicating that they you know didn't want to really pay rent or couldn't pay rent and um, and the kind of liquidity challenges that that resulted in meant that the industry had to react and i think what we what we did do was we very soon organized into what was basically called the property industry group was a large basically the largest landlords in the country and the idea was to engage our clients and the tenants and certain groupings amongst them and have a discussion around how we would get through this thing collectively and I must admit I think as a country you know we've done that reasonably well if I compare this to Australia the US or even the UK which is probably the biggest mess of all um, you know the, the these these two factions have have gone into pretty much legal warfare. Whereas in South Africa, we've, I wouldn't say totally got through this process because obviously we're still in it, but certainly uh, from an initial point of view, we've managed to navigate it where everybody is either equally happy or equally unhappy. And to be honest, I think that the pain was shared uh, collectively by both parties 
and the environment is incredibly difficult. I mean, there is no doubt if we look at footfalls, it does vary. And I think, you know, what we have seen is, is that maybe metropolitan areas and, and certain areas within the metropolitan areas are seeing different dynamics to, for instance, the outlying areas. And trade is also varying, you know, so it's not a, a one-size-fits-all, it's, it's pretty dynamic. And, um, you know, when analysing it, it's quite easily just said, you know, across the board it's difficult, it is, but in certain areas it's less difficult than others. Grant, you've had a really hectic time of it. I can't imagine there are many businesses who've had a bigger impact than Edcon and not many that will have more of a ripple effect than you would have then Edcon would have on the consumer landscape. What has been the most difficult aspect of the shutdown to implement and manage from your perspective and how are you seeing things going forward from here? You know it was a, a huge shock to the system. Actually the problems uh, for us started before the actual lockdown, the two weeks uh, between the president announcing closing of borders and the lockdown. We, we read you know the Monday morning after he announced we saw the problems. So it was, it was very traumatic. Interestingly, operationally, it was a reasonably simple process to lock down, uh, shut the stores, everyone go home. We had uh, immense difficulty actually more on the bits of the business we had to keep open. In our case, we also a very large financial services company. And of course, customers wanted to phone call centers and, and pay accounts and all the stores are closed and our call centers were mostly closed. And that's actually where we had the hardest problem. Specifically for Edcon, of course, the story is well known. We immediately were unable to pay. And so it was a, a very difficult process communicating that to all our suppliers. But then actually moving, once we made the big decision and moved into business rescue, we were able to, to focus more normally on reopening the business post the lockdown and then operating in this lockdown phase, which is very, very challenging, and, uh, but also quite interesting, by the way. I think there's some interesting learnings to be gathered from the recent times. Going forward, you know, I would perhaps try to define and separate this process into a short-term process, which I, I think Etienne as well described, is that the industry, the retailers and the landlords ultimately did handle very well relatively to other countries around the world. But with that short-term challenge behind us, really we're in the medium-term challenge, which is, you know, the, the COVID era, but post-lockdown. And then in the longer term, we're going to be left with uh, the post-COVID challenge. And it's very difficult to look forward to there because it's quite difficult to predict what the market will look like, what will do well, what will do badly. But, you know, this is, this is probably where our minds are now moving on to. Esther, maybe you can provide some insights on that then. So what capacity would you say that your stores and your malls or your malls itself are running at now compared to the, the pre-COVID and the lockdown patch? It was quite clear that there was an initial pent-up demand for sales as, as the first bit of lockdown eased and people would go shop again. How long, if you were a betting man, would you think it will take until we can get to sort of pre-COVID levels going forward, appreciating that your crystal ball is probably as broken as many of ours? Look, I mean, you know, clearly the media is full of anticipation in terms of what they believe the long-term trends are going to be. And, I mean, obviously everybody's calling for major change in shopper behavior to online etc and in the short term we have you know seen that online in certain areas has picked up now historically online as a percentage of retail was maybe 1.8 percent of total turnover and to be honest most of that was actually services so you know tickets for airlines tickets 
for the, the movies, etc. So not that much physical shopping. What we have seen is, is that clearly a lot of the retailers, whether they're the food retailers or clothing retailers, have had to adapt in the short term to try and get merchandise to clients that some of which are hesitant in go, going to shopping centers. I think from our point of view, you know, not every occurrence is a trend over the long term. And if you look at the, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, if you look at the, the landscape, there are certain shopping centers that are doing much better and others that are doing really poorly. So at the moment, uh, if you, for instance, the best shopping center in the country has been the Victorian Alfred Waterfront for, for many years. Now, in this environment where the government's literally closed down the whole tourism sector, so we're probably going to have the first minister without any portfolio soon being the tourism minister. And, uh, you know, the reality is, is that it has really had a negative impact on the v &A. So uh, shopping footfall there is only up to 35, 40 odd percent, but it is increasing, you know, as we move through these phases. Some of our shopping centers are back up at 90 odd percent footfall. And, you know, we are seeing that trade is reasonably normalized. It then also varies amongst some of the retailers, you know. So what we have seen is that certain sectors of food have really performed actually pretty well uh, in this environment. As people have been in lockdown, I think they've sort of adjusted their needs and their requirements. Household stuff have sold uh, reasonably well because everybody's at home. But, you know, there are certain other goods that aren't selling as well. It's difficult to generalize because, as I said, you know, if you're operating out of one of the secondary cities or the outlying towns as a shopping center, you've actually had quite a decent experience because governments obviously pump liquidity into those uh, the lower end of the market and that money has gone straight in, into retail spend. So it does vary uh, quite, uh, quite a bit uh, through the sectors depending on, on the specific unique uh, characteristics of the, sh of the shopping center. But generally, uh, I think the message is, is that it is slowly coming back, but it's not quite where it used to be. Grant, maybe you could weigh in with the insights that you've been seeing through your portfolio, where you're seeing pressure points, where you're seeing interesting opportunities, uh, fully appreciating that the business rescue process has probably taken front of being center of mind for a while. Um, it'd be interesting to see how you've seen the play out. Yeah, so, so our Jet and Edgar's businesses are up trading as normal, by the way. So the business rescue process is mostly affecting the head office. Obviously, there's some distraction elsewhere, but you know, Edgar's and Jet have operated throughout this period. The trends we've seen have been somewhat intuitive. A larger, a more upmarket malls have done worse than low-income rural. There's a very definitive trend there. Uh, and, and, you know, anyone who goes to one of the big malls will immediately notice the, the very low footfall in those malls. So that's one trend we've noticed. Again, I agree with Estian. There's some categories that have performed superbly, like cellular has done very, very well, um, as, as people have had to double down on data and uh, home communications. And then you would, as you would uh, guess, you know, casual wear, sweatpants, all the categories which we use at home have done quite well. In fact, you know, we're probably mostly out of stock of all those categories. And then categories that you would guess wouldn't work at all. Workwear's not worked at all. Formal wear's not worked at all. So, you know, consumers are somewhat, you know, rational creatures. They're reasonably predictable. And I think, you know, we, we would be able to say with some confidence now what the trend's going to be for the next uh, six to 12 months, you know, whilst the 
the coronavirus. Whilst we go through second peak, third peak, fourth peak, uh, I think we're going to be able to predict and run the businesses quite well. The big shift, which you know, is probably going to be some form of the debate, is the extent to which the consumer is permanently changed. I've had experiences at home where everyone has about things that have worked and I've been forced to try that um, I like and so I'll probably never change again. You know, that, that'll affect places like gyms, restaurants, and certainly online has, has, you know, I've been forced into using online in ways which I, I never would have previously. And there have been some good experiences, been some terrible experiences. I think the, the biggest thing we learned, by the way, during the e-commerce phase, the lockdown phase, was that the physical retailers are terrible at e-commerce. We've invested for very, very small volumes. And the moment those volumes doubled, tripled, or in certainly Edgar's case, went up tenfold, the system just collapsed. You know, we, we make no... <laughs> we make lots of apologies for that, but no excuses. The system just fell over. Whereas the um, dedicated uh, online retailers, I think, handled it superbly. Somehow with um, COVID regulations, those guys just worked their way through it uh, and have done a superb job. And I must have earned the trust of a whole bunch of new customers that hadn't tried them before. Whereas, you know, probably the, those uh, customers using the major known physical retailers stores, um, online stores, were probably mostly disappointed. Grant, you made some, some interesting points there. Estian, it'd be really interesting to get your insights on how you expect consumer patterns to change. So what do you think is temporary? What do you think baked into consumer mindsets going forward? Yeah, I think uh, in South Africa, the dynamic is slightly different than uh, many of the developed markets. So I think if you're going to analyze a market, we've got a, quite a developed sophisticated shopper on the one hand and then we've got other shoppers that might not have access uh, you know in to devices that they can use for online shopping the logistics uh, also is limiting in certain areas and as such i think there will be you know uh, maybe uh, trends that you'll see in different lsm markets and in and, and different uh, geographies across our country in South Africa, I do get the impression still that you know uh, shopping is a is a bit of a social trend uh, and remains such, and we can see that from the return of the footfall in 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 our shopping centres, there will definitely be an impact over over time. But it seems as though that impact won't be maybe as pronounced as in some of the developed markets. I mean, I've got statistics where in the UK. You know, if you look at homeware and, and health and, you know, you're looking at 10 to, to 20% of total trade is in fact online. Whereas in the South African environment, you know, the last mile remains a large challenge, you know. And even though we've seen that improve quite a lot in the higher LSM markets, in the lower LSM environment, that remains uh, difficult and expensive. So, you know, many of the online providers are still trying to make money out of this thing. And, and the, if you've got a return immediately, um, you know, it, it provides a challenge and in fact makes that, uh, wipes out your profit. So I think, uh, I think it's going to be a longer term trend in South Africa. Only time will tell. I mean, this, a similar 
kind of debate is raging around office, as you can imagine at the moment. Are we all going to be happy to work from home? Uh, you know, these kind of scenarios, not all of us have answers to that, but certainly my view would be, you know, as it relates to office, that there are a whole bunch of things that you cannot do from home. Uh, collaborative working is very difficult. And, you know, there's certainly uh, in South Africa, the context of having connectivity and our good old friend Eskom, uh, you know, he's a, they're a real banker. You know, as soon as you're desperate to have your meeting, they might load shed you. So those facilities, most of the offices that certainly GrowthPoint provide today have uninterrupted power, etc., and and is geared for for the environment that we're operating in. And you know that I think is is important factor. And many people, the households that they live in, or uh, isn't really conducive for working from home. So I think connectivity and all these kind of factors come come into play. Grant, it's interesting to get your view. So TFG made a fairly bold call in their last set of results around they thought five years time you could be as much as 10% online in their business in a South African context. How easy is it to do as a person who's been involved in the nuts and bolts of this business? And, and if you were a betting man in five years, how much do you think you, businesses you've been involved with or the other your competitors how adaptable are they like to be to be able to get to that sort of number yeah so so in the end you know when one's been in the retail game for long enough you realize it's really consumers that drive this you know we like to we like to think that management of retail companies and us fancy retailers you know make a difference but really consumers um, drive the behavior. You know, why, why were the major retailers uninvested in the e-commerce channel? Because very few people used it significantly. You know, it's a very, it was a very special case solution. So we will follow the market and all the retailers will just follow the market. And, and you know, if the, if the retail um, category goes online, they'll go online. I mean, you know, certainly, certainly what I'm observing is there are definitely categories where the retailers are just dis- disappearing. You can think about now, if you had to go and buy a major appliance or electronics item or a TV or a small appliance, the choice of retailers is, is declining fast. Um, and their ranges in stores are declining fast. Whereas you go online and you're just inundated by, you can buy anything you want and it'll be in your house a week later. So I, I think it's going to, there's no broad answer. There is going to be categories which are just going to move online very, very quickly now, I think, as a, as a result of this experience. And there are categories which are probably never going to probably um, move online, you know, and non-branded clothing. And so, you know, just, just for those viewers who, who are trying to, who I need to explain that a bit more. But, you know, if you're buying a Nike pair of shorts or a Puma a set of shoes or, a, you know, a fancy branded sweater or shirt, TM Learn shirt, you, you can rely on the size, you know, you can rely on the fit, you can rely on the style. But most of the clothes that you buy, you need to try on or you need to feel or you need to be on, in front of. So, so non-branded clothing is very difficult to do online, whereas electronics, home, home improvement goods, jewelry, these are very, very easy to do online and, and will move quickly now. So I think the challenge for, for the likes of Estian and myself and, and other uh, retailers and property owners is just to stay very, very connected to try and read the trend now and then move fast. Uh, I don't think we can force it one way or the other. I think we must just stay on top of it and not fight it. Uh, when a consumer wants to change their behavior, which some of it is permanent now, there's no question about it. It's already changed. Um, we must just find a ways to service them. Estian, maybe you can weigh in there talking about how you view your sector having to change on a five, 10 year view. What habits have been built into property landlords 
in the past you think are going to have to change? And how do you think your business is going to have to change in the next five years? I think over the past couple of years, we've already seen certain changes within retail. And Grant's already you know, pointed out that white goods, electronic goods, suppliers from the shopping centers have certainly diminished significantly. And, you know, the reality is, is those those goods will probably increasingly uh, be from big box or from an online sort of platform, you know. And the fact that inflation in those in those categories has been very, very low um, has, has been proven a challenge for those retailers per se. I think the other thing is, is that, you know, for the for the landlords in South Africa, you know, I think at the moment there certainly is oversupply in the South African retail environment. I think it's been coming for a couple of years where, you know, we've had significant development in the space. And as a result, you know, we've uh, we've seen um, a lot of expansion and in an environment that is contractionary, certainly from a retailer perspective, you know, I think there will be more space. So, I mean, in, 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 in Grant's business per se, you know, the, uh, in the disposal of, of their business as part of this business rescue process, you know, there are certain stores that will not be uh, reopened and, um, and landlords and property owners will have to find a solution for this. Now, internationally, we're seeing all sorts of interesting dynamics and, and we do keep a, a keep an eye across the ocean to try and understand some of the trends and clearly if there's any learning, uh, you know, that we, we try and pick up on that. So, you know, there's a lot of rumors that Simon Property Group in the US, which is probably their largest uh, retail property owner, is actively speaking to Amazon to get effectively distribution centers out of their shopping centers or collection points. And that's to fill up space that, let's say, JCPenney or any of these large retailers have left that have gone uh, into liquidation. So actively, you know, the other dynamic in the South African context is the amount of parking we provide. So whether we're in office buildings or in shopping centers, we've got huge quantities of parking. And I think, you know, over time you might see if our public transport improves in, in South Africa or if we, you know, clearly the emergence of Ubers and uh, all these sort of uh, taxify products where you can, uh, you know, have a, a motor car at beck and call and you don't have to own it, you know, those, those change the dynamics for a parking requirement. And I think that trend over the long term will also be a challenge that landlords have to, to face. To be honest, I think... You know, all these little trends are pretty interesting, but the economic impacts that we are facing in this country at the moment far outweigh any of these little trends that, that are kind of novel and interesting, but are much, much uh, less of an impact. You know, if your economy is contracting by 8 to 10 percent, which is, I think, quite possible and a real if what we're seeing in our numbers, then, you know, that plays out across the real estate space. It plays out across retail and those impacts are significantly more. And to compound the problem in our country, what we're finding is, is that actually our government is starting to become too expensive for the people. And that might sound a little bit uh, derogatory, but you know, if we've seen increases in rates and taxes for both property and retail, because ultimately the property owners are responsible to collect the, uh, the rates and taxes from our tenants, and, and I mean, our largest tenants are retail tenants. Now, what we have seen uh, is that these uh, 
rates and taxes over the past eight years, we've seen 320% increase. Uh, I mean, CPI in the same period has only been 78 odd percent. So more averaging effectively 11% every year, which is clearly unsustainable. And the, at the same time, what we're also experiencing as property owners is increasingly we're having to provide our own services. So I made a little joke, I said, I, I'm in my home, I had to provide backup power, you know, so that's capital invested into uh, utilities, which you used to never have to worry about. Um, when Cape Town ran out of water, we, you know, we as a company spent over 50 million rand ensuring that our clients at our offices, etc., had water supply uninterruptedly, because ultimately the property owner becomes responsible for the utility problem. And it's got as bad that, you know, if you go into the Woodmead off interchange uh, today, you'll see it's being upgraded and that's a provincial road. But guess what? It's not your tax money at work. It's Growth Point uh, and some of the property owners that will be upgrading that uh, infrastructure. Now, all these costs ultimately have an impact. And one of the things is the real estate industry in South Africa has actually been one of our most competitive industries globally because we've been able to develop property and there's many reasons why that is. Our land is maybe cheaper and, um, and our, our cost of development has been a bit cheaper and we've been able to bring in rentals cheaper than anywhere else and it's been able to attract foreign uh, uh, retailers to our shores but also you know in the commercial and industrial phases we've seen businesses come to South Africa now if government continues to go on a certain trajectory all it's doing is making corporate South Africa com uh, completely uncompetitive internationally and that will continue to shrink the economy now you know that's not good for anybody so certainly as a collective between ourselves and some of the retailers we're going to be uh, you know addressing this with the Minister of Cooperative Governance and um, you know this is a, is a real crisis for the industry and, and the perception that rental has grown uh, exponentially over over the past 10 years isn't actually the net rental that the property owners are receiving but is as a result of this massive increase in utilities and in uh, rates and taxes so these administered costs are skewing the pie and you know effectively is expropriation without compensation grant from your perspective if you had a wish list what would you like government to do and how have your interactions and engagement been with them through pre-lockdown lockdown and now as you get to the other side you know one of the interesting things has been the, the the effect of the edcon experience you know which has really been a long ongoing saga which has you know weighed upon landlords and suppliers and, and employees alike uh, you know largely customers have been uh, shielded from it is it's probably developed the relationship between the retailers and the property owners and in that i think there is a joint understanding that we live off consumer spend. You know, we, we spend some time arguing between the retailer and the landlord. How do we divide up that consumer spend amongst us? And, and that's a fair argument. But I think there is quite a commercial understanding now. By the way, I, didn't, I don't feel like there was a particularly commercial discussion three years ago, but things have, have come along. We've all learned a lot. The, the impediment now is we have to convince governments uh, who collect taxes that they also... <laughs> Are exposed to consumer spend, and that's you know I, I would imagine that's Etienne's number one challenge. Uh, when 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 the retailer sits across from him and says my turnover has gone down thirty percent, at minimum my rent's got to go down thirty percent. He's got to be able to go off to the local governments and have the same debate. 
And I suspect his challenge is greater than ours was um, because we at least were talking to ex very experienced and successful business people. And he is uh, talking to people whose lives and jobs depend on collecting more money, not less money. So I, I really do think we have a big problem there. And certainly what, what, you know, the retailers and the landlords will begin a process now, a very, very serious process of addressing this issue. It has become the number one issue in you know, physical retail. So you know, I think that's, that's the most dominant trend. Government, for the most part, has been, that I've had interactions with, has been engaged and interactive, but I don't get a sense has yet come to terms with the crisis and the, the quantum of the crisis that's hitting us. All, all business people, all leaders, I think, obviously suffer from a period of denial between where you, you think it's going wrong and you, you, you finally accept it's gone wrong and you've got to do something about it. And I, I don't get a sense yet that uh, the government leaders quite understand the crisis, the financial and economic crisis that is heading our way. Grant, those points are incredibly interesting, and I, I, I tend to agree with both you and Estin around the consumer dynamic is going to outweigh so much else in the next while, and if the consumer rebounds from here, it will flow through to the entire pie, but there's a risk that it takes longer than people would like, certainly. As in, from an analyst perspective, I'm struggling to find much to be optimistic about on a two, three year view, but I, I tend towards being overly bearish, so maybe that's clouding my view. Um, it'd be interesting to get an intake, STM, from your perspective, what, what initiatives can retailers and landlords take to both get government on board? And then from an entirely separate point of view, in a far more near-term perspective, what do you think it's going to take to get customers to come back to malls? Is it going to take a vaccine? Do you think that there's just pent-up demand that they're going to come back regardless because eventually people say, I'm gutful and I'm going to come back in? What, how, how do you see this playing out? As I've mentioned, you know, we've started seeing our footfalls increase. And I think over time, people are sensitizing to the new kind of reality that they have to live within and the implications it has, uh, you know, going shopping. I mean, I'm already used to sticking my paws out as I go into the shops to have them sanitized and uh, we all wear our masks and, you know, those kind of dynamics, I think, are with us maybe for the next couple of months and until we do have a vaccine. And I do think that that, you know, is quite a key uh, factor because I do think that the mortality factor is, is real and that people are sensitive to that and that is totally understandable. So I do think that that will have an impact. You know, once again, it depends on where you are, but if you, if you don't have any tourists coming into Cape Town, and that clearly is a, is a big factor for the economy of the city. So if every tourist that comes to Cape Town that spends a dollar, 60 cents of that is actually at the V&A. And if you haven't got tourists, then clearly that asset is, is going to take pressure. I think what property owners and retailers actually have done quite a bit of already, and it shouldn't be un underestimated, is the, the fact that I think to a large extent they have made shoppers feel uh, reasonably safe. And as such, you know, we have seen footfalls come back quite a bit. If you know that you potentially can lose your job though, 
uh, in this environment because the economy is contracting, then you know you are going to be more conservative as a consumer. And I think that factor is much more of a factor, I think, in this environment than the actual safety issues. You know, it also is quite difficult for a shopping center to be fully open and seem functional when you can't have your restaurants open. Uh, those restaurants couldn't sell alcohol. Uh, there were all sorts of limitations and all sorts of things. So I think we're still moving through that. We're now freshly into level two, and hopefully uh, by the mid-month we'll be back open fully and you know we can dream so hopefully that that's going to be the case and from there i think collectively between both property and uh, retail you know that the effort collectively will hopefully see things normalize but until you haven't got a vaccine i do think that there's a component uh, of our shopper base that will be very very careful and you know specifically the aged and so forth uh, the higher LSMs are, are quite careful. I do also think that, you know, moving moving forward through this journey, uh, you know, by far the economic factors and uh, stresses are, you know, more prevalent than, than the actual uh, viral factors. And then, the, you know, the impact of, of government, uh, let's call it regulations, etc., are also very material in how the life looks. I mean, you know, we don't, we, as we sit here, I can't tell you which restaurants are going to open and which ones aren't. And, uh, you know, when some of the gyms, they can open now, how, how successful uh, will those openings be and, and how long they will be able to bear, you know, the, the, the difficult uh, timing. So, you know, as an industry, the property industry has been, uh, I wouldn't say funding, but certainly uh, forgiving uh, many of those components of industry, the small businesses, uh, we've played a big, uh, big role in providing liquidity into that market. Something that government actually hasn't done, even though they profess to have done that, and uh, and certainly the the banks' liquidity facilities haven't proven to be successful at all. I think of the. 200 billion or whatever that that there was earmarked. I think until a couple of months ago they hadn't even got uh, five to ten billion away of that. So you know the reality is is the only industry that has been providing liquidity other than the financial institutions is effectively the, the property industry in this process. And it's also not infinitely uh, possible. And and we'll see it in the in the re results. You know it's result season now for the next uh, month or two. And uh, I can tell you that the impact, you know, is, is material. And the big theme will be liquidity for many com companies. Uh, clearly, it is an impact on valuations. And, and uh, you know, if you were at a 45% LTV, you know, before you wipe your eyes out, you're at 50. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's those are dynamics, I think, are, are very real uh, in, in the property world at this stage. Grant, we don't often get to speak to somebody who's gone through the process you've just gone through. Right? It must have been one of the most stressful moments in your life. It would be quite nice to be able to get your insights on how the business rescue process has happened, when you got the realization it actually had to happen, how it's played out. You made an interesting comment earlier around the consumers have been protected from what's been happening at the back end. It would be interesting to get your thoughts around the whole chain and how you've seen this play out and how it's going to play out in the months and years to come. Yeah, sure. Let me sh share some thoughts of that with you. But but before I get there, uh, if, if I could sort of also add to the, the theme of Etienne's answer, I'd like to think of this corona period, we'll look back on it as the great accelerator. You know, we'll forget about the hand washing and the 
and, and the small details, which operationally we I think we've handled very well as a country and as and as industries. The real thing that's, that worries me is it's accelerating a decline in the middle class. You know, the the two thousands were built on a, a growing middle class. And the 2010 onwards, we started seeing a growing wealthy class and a growing welfare class. And this uh, coronavirus really worries me that it's going to take a, a big smack to the middle class. We're going to have an even larger welfare state being built um, and the wealthy will carry on getting wealthier. But you collect tax from the middle class. You know, it's, it's difficult to collect from the wealthy and you don't collect from the, in fact, it's negative collections from the to the low income. And so, you know, Etienne and myself, we'll worry about the coronavirus for a few more months. Then we'll be faced with the reality that all the retailers who are servicing and have the business model based on the middle class are going to have a hard time and get themselves into trouble. Um, you know, as, as, as retailers close, what we've learned uh, is that the landlords just reconfigure. So, you know, I'm not sure one can draw a, an extension line that a failure of a bunch of middle class focused retailers is going to necessarily long term damage the, the, the landlord industry, but they certainly will have to reconfigure around that trend. I, I just see it accelerating. Business rescue has been traumatic, you know, of course, mostly for our suppliers, our landlords who, who, who weren't paid, uh, and our staff. You know, those are the people who've really had the hard time. Uh, it's been a good process, actually, you know, relative. This is a bit, I like to tell people this is a bit like uh, getting a cancer news. You know, the, the news that you've got cancer is a shock, but then there's some good news within there that, you know, maybe it's only early stage and we can cut it out. And the, this experience is very much like that. You get some bad news, we have to go into business rescue. But then the good news is that we're going to be able to save the majority of the stores. And, and, and I'm incredibly grateful, by the way, to the role that the landlords have played in that, because without them, we couldn't have saved any stores. And I'm also incredibly grateful to the brave new owners of Edgar's and Jet. You know, this to go out and spend money on businesses at this time, you know, it takes some serious courage. And, you know, I think everyone should should interpret from that. And I'm, I feel enormously grateful for it, is the, the effort and risk people are going to save some good branded businesses and, and save some jobs. Um, so I, I've got nothing but positive to say about business rescue. I, I can see why it goes wrong, by the way. Um, I, I certainly, you know, would be able to give you uh, stories of, you know, a thousand times in the last three months where the whole thing could have fallen apart. But I think, you know, as long as there is some good underlying businesses there, there's good leadership uh, in on, on all parts, by the way. You have to have people who, who've lost a lot of money and yet are still prepared to work with you. This is very, very difficult. So far for us, it's been a good experience. And I think, as I say, it's just accelerated what was going to happen at Edcon anyway, which is even if we had successfully turned the business around, we would have still broken it up and sold it off in pieces. And, and hence why I refer to Corona as the great accelerator. Yes, I mean, I think maybe I can just wait in, David, if you uh, give me the opportunity. I mean, I think Grant and his team, you know, the property, the large property owners certainly were supportive of him and his team and, and what they had been doing, you know, we could see the positive impact. Uh, the dilemma was just with COVID, they kind of ran out of cash. And the reality is, is that cash flow uh, is king in this environment. And without it, it's impossible to go forward. And I think, you know, the dynamic through that process, I mean, to be honest, our experience historically, Grant, on business rescue 
from a from a property point of view is terrible because what happens is it's designed for the financial institutions to effectively take everything and leave the poor property guys with nothing right so uh, it hasn't been great but in this process the the way it was managed and i think the the speed of execution to be honest i think uh, contributed i mean certainly you know f- f- from our side we we actively try to introduce people into the process uh, to try and uh, find buyers and create uh, maybe a little bit of competitive tension uh, in the process and and see whether we could help the the business survive i mean to give you an idea up until march uh, 2020 i mean the, the business jet turned over seven and a half billion for the year and what uh, edgar's nine and a half odd billion so i mean between the two of them it's the, the 17 billion of turnover they're not in they're still the largest uh, retail player as a collective uh, in, in, in the economy and occupied over a million square meters of space in South African real estate. So, you know, wearing my industry hat, it was important for us as the property industry to try and encourage a solution as best possible. And, you know, clearly the jet uh, stores are a little bit easier to deal with because they, they're smaller and, you know, there's much more of a market for that. But in this environment, it's also, you know, it's not easy if you've got half a million square meters of space coming to the market, uh, even if it is small. And then obviously the, the deep space uh, Edgar's formats are, are really a different sort of challenge for the retail, uh, for the sort of retail uh, property industry. And, and I think those, the, the, hopefully the answer over the long term will, will be a positive one for us all. And to think about all the jobs that have been saved in the process, I must admit, you know, those we can't underestimate the direct and indirect financial impact it has on people's lives in, in this market. It's incredibly interesting. Thank you. Maybe one last question. Grant, are you going to be sticking around in retail or is this, uh, are you going to need well-deserved rest? How does this play out for you in the months and years to come? Yeah, I really only have skills to do two things. I, I can either get into energy. My education and training was a, as an electrical engineer. And uh, in between MassMart and Edcon, I actually started up a, a solar business. So, you know, I'm, pro- I'm probably, I, I'm, I'm too, I'm, I'm getting to that phase, I'm too old to retread. So I'll, you know, I'll disappear for a couple of years and pop back probably either in an energy business or a retail business. You know, hopefully not one that needs to be completely re-engineered. <laughs> it would be nice to be part of, a, part of a more stable business. Look, I mean, I think the energy opportunity is a real, real opportunity. I think if Eskom uh, does get, I mean, the best thing that can happen to us as consumers is that they break up Eskom into distribution, transmission and generation, right? You know, I can remember back in the early 90s, that proposal was already on the on the table. And in fact, if that was done at that point, I think we would have been miles down, down the track and electricity for this country wouldn't be the inhibitor it is to economic growth. And uh, I think, you know, just to contextualize uh, you know, a growth point today as something like 11 uh, megs of power that we generate of rooftop solar. And one of the biggest challenges we have is that to the extent that you would like to wield that power to where you need it. So let's say I've got an office building and there's uh, solar on top of the roof 
and on the weekends that power can't be used, that's getting fed into the grid and we're not getting a return on that. But I've got a, a requirement at a shopping center. Now, I can't wheel through the grid as, as growth point today. And that's a, that's a huge inhibitor for the growth of that industry and for actually alleviating some of the challenges we have. Not that solar is the ultimate solution for everything, but certainly, you know, that could, together with other solutions, be brought on from a commercial point of view very, very quickly if we have a functional transmission and distribution wielding sort of environment. And, and I think that is something that, that definitely has to be given some attention quicker rather than later. It sounds like I should come and apply for a job from you. <laughs> James, I think that's it. I um, really appreciate your time, your insights on behalf of myself and Investec and the people who will be viewing this in the weeks to come. Uh, you've given us a lot of food for thought. Thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Thanks. views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendation. Investec Specialist Bank, a division of Investec Bank Limited, is a registered credit provider.